0: All right, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. Uh, We're going to be looking today at uh, what I've entitled Christian Epistemology and uh, shorthand for Westminster Shorter Catechism number two and three. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we give thanks that you have revealed yourself to us uh, as we shall see today both in creation and in your word and that you've given us a supernatural message which is good news which compels us uh, to come and to repent and believe as your spirit accompanies your word and makes us new creatures in Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand the Christian mind and the work that you do in our hearts through your word and through your spirit and even through your very creation. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, There are handouts in the back. Um, I'm going to use some terms that you might not be familiar with in the beginning, but I've defined them, Uh, so make sure you got one of those. Um, I started this out as uh, looking into teaching on Shorter Catechism number two, and then I got sidetracked, and then I got too many notes. Um, So this might be all over the place, but uh, we want to look at, you know, as Christians, how do we get what we got in terms of what we know concerning God, what we know concerning uh, reality, what we know concerning how we ought to act, right? And so, uh, you know, Dave started a, a new study that Christians will be teaching. Different members of the church will be teaching over the next couple months. Um, and it's called Survey of Christian Ethics. So, different ethical subjects will be taken up during June and July. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to be addressing the source of Christian ethics, namely, that's the Bible. Um, so, we're going to talk a little philosophy, maybe a little bit of moral psychology, and then we'll examine Shorter Catechism 2 and 3 at warp speed. Now, traditionally, when philosophers talk about philosophy, they break it into three subcategories, right? Ethics, how we ought to live. Uh, epistemology, that's what knowledge is and how we get our knowledge. And lastly, metaphysics, that's ontology or the study of being. What, what is there, right? These are the three basic things that are examined in philosophy, and it's certainly more complicated than that. For example, metaphysics, you could—I limited metaphysics up until about Aristotle. And truth be told, I haven't kept up with it after there. Truth be told, I haven't kept up with Aristotle. That's, that's a lifelong endeavor right there. Uh, I, I apologize, not Aristotle. Medieval theologian who loves Aristotle, Aquinas, right? Um, so uh, while these three divisions of ethics, epistemology, and metaphysics are useful for narrowing our focus when we look at things in philosophy, we can't consider these in isolation. Consider this, for example. Any ethical question quickly delves into epistemology. That is, if you're going to ask questions of how ought I to act, you need to ask, how do I know these things, right? Hmm. You can't know how you ought to live unless you know something, and you can't know something unless you know that certain things exist. So if you ask any one of these questions in philosophy, you're necessarily jumping into the whole bucket. Now, while our concern of this course is ethics, we do need to address what is in back of a Christian approach to ethics, that is epistemology and metaphysics, right? Now, all the complicated stuff's over. Um, for the Christian, of course, it's no surprise when we ask these basic questions how ought we to live? we look to the Bible, right? When we ask how we know what we know, we say the Bible. And when we ask what there is in all of reality, we answer on the basis of the Bible. There's a creature and there's a creator, right? We looked at that and we looked at Shorter Catechism 1, that it's very clear, right? We're talking about a theistic view of reality. There's God and there's creation and they, the twain, shall not meet, right? God's pleased to have us share in his glory insofar as we're made in his image and reflect his glory, but we're never going to be God, right? So pantheistic views of reality are right out. Um, so certainly there's, there's views implied in holding a high, high view of Scripture, Now, one way in which we could look at this in the history of philosophy is there's three ways that we could consider uh, the way in which people have understood the idea of revelation, right? Is it possible to know outside of the present creation, right? And we're going to look, of course, at the biblical doctrine of it. But here's been three basic views. The classic view, probably from I'm just taking a stab and saying AD 350, this is after the Uh, Council of Nicaea by 25 years Uh, from AD 350 until the Enlightenment the dominant view was God has said right God speaks from outside of creation through his creation but also through what we'll call special revelation and it's to be believed God has said it right the stereotypical form of you know fundamentalism is God has said it I believe it that settles it right and that is a little Uh, Hedged in but nonetheless, there's a lot of truth there, right God has said it During the Enlightenment of course a competing view comes along and that could be characterized as has God said Certainly, there's something useful concerning this religion thing, right? A lot of people appreciate that but there's a skeptical sort of approach to it. Did God really say that? Can we trust that it employs a critical spirit of varying degrees and questions sort of the truthiness of the Bible It questions the accuracy or even the possibility of God speaking. And the more modern view, where lots of folks are at today, is to ask this question, who cares? All religions lead to war, right? That's a common argument you'll hear in the academy and in your neighborhoods. Now the truth is, all three of these views have probably been exercised at one point or another in human history and certainly at different points in time, one or the other gains some uh, ascendancy, right? They vie for our attention in the marketplace of ideas. They likely have always existed. Now, wherever our friends and neighbors land with these basic epistemologies, these approaches of knowing what you know, we need to take them seriously and engage them with gentleness and respect, as Peter tells us, as we seek to honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the hope that's in you. Now, this calls for wisdom. As We entertain uh, The task of apologetics of defending the faith we don't need to go down every rabbit trail that presents itself Right and a lot of times when we talk about a eternally self-existent God that exists for his glory and our good as we come to him in faith uh, There's a lot of rabbit trails. There's a lot of subterfuge, right? There's a lot of muddying of the waters We'll look at a couple real quick. Um You know, oftentimes we'll hear from the people who claim that, well, you know, religions, all religions lead to war. Um, they'll often be of an atheistic mindset and, you know, uh, will automatically want to think, well, let's, let's go ahead and play the game of my daddy's worse than your daddy. Let's count bodies, right? Um, and I would encourage you not to go down that. Certainly it's true, right? And it's true that within the history of Christendom, a lot of people have been killed even in the name of God, okay? Uh, but it's also true that amongst atheistic philosophers and dictators There's a lot of death that's gone on right and so it's often very common for us as Christians to start ticking off You know the numbers Or here's the fascinating thing when you dehumanize people is you don't count them when you kill them It's a thing, but here's the thing. No, and let's be honest. That's what it's about um, When we look into some of the more, you know Communist societies that were formed especially in the 20th century, uh, you know anywhere from 700 1,000 to 3.5 million in North Korea 1.1 1. 1 to 10 million and with you know Lenin 8.8 8 to forty two million. right so the point is is we might be tempted to go down that path and I got a lot more But I'm not interested in going there because I'm encourage you that is that argument really happening. Is that really helpful? It, it does tell them that their poop stinks, too, right and that's useful um, And we might actually win the argument in terms of whose dad is worse, right uh, that that might actually happen But is that useful. I would submit that well beloved the Christian believes in depravity. There's nothing inconsistent with admitting that yeah sinful people do sinful things even when they're in my camp. Uh, Another possible smokescreen is to deny that all of those Christians that are accused of doing atrocities in the past were Christians. Right. Oh well they weren't Christian. Try that on next time you're arguing with people about Islam right cuz oftentimes people of good faith in Islam, right? If people who are sort of consistent orthodox Islamists and you, you I get where you're thinking with that what Does that exist? When you look at their doctrine, these guys who do heinous things, check check you check the boxes and I, they they aren't Buddhists, that's for sure, right? And the same thing applies in the history of the church, right? We could look and say, are they trinitarian? Check. Uh, Did they believe that God revealed himself to his church? Check. Did they do atrocious things? Check. Now You're right. Maybe on the last day ultimately they aren't believers, but that's not access to information We have right and again, is it any sweat off of our back as believers to say? Human depravity is real. It's an equal opportunity employer and this to be repented of and turned from by all people so, again, I, I would say suggest that it's a smokescreen. A- avoid those arguments. I believe a more biblical and faithful approach would be to operate out of our faith commitments and without shame. As Christians, we have nothing to lose in relying on the biblical anthropology. When we rely on what the Bible describes about human nature, right? With it, we can account for all of the data in human behavior quite well. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Encourage your non-Christian friends to take the Christian explanation of things for a test drive. It's not inconsistent for me to see depravity in creation, even amongst people who are on my team. That's a thing. On your view of reality, perhaps, if you think things are always getting better and evolving, whether it's sort of a biological evolving or whether it's a societal evolving a la Hegel, um, you know, hey, You should expect things to get better. We should see less and less of this. That's a problem for you, not for me, okay? So encourage your Christian friends to take a a test drive of the Christian explanation of things. For example, our doctrine of humanity's creation requires us to see the beauty in humanity that breaks through even in our fallenness. Francis Schaeffer often referred to humanity as we exist now since the fall as glorious ruins. When someone visits the Acropolis in Greece, They'll see the remnants of beauty, which still testify of a true beauty. They'll see the great pillars. They'll see the intricate carvings. They'll see the masterful craftsmanship. How did they stack those things? What did they do, right? That's all attested to still to this day. But nevertheless, they're ruins. Being created in the image of the incomprehensibly glorious God requires for us to honor and respect all humans, as they still bear the image of god although we're a far cry from the beauty of holiness that we experienced before the fall in the garden our doctrine of humanity's fallenness reminds us that sin in all its forms again is an equal opportunity employer the body and soul of humanity from our birth defects to our brains is tainted by the fall man woman child christian and non-christian suffer under this curse our thoughts our words our deeds our actions those are simultaneous and the same they're all tainted by the fall therefore it's no problem for the christian to confess that christians have sinned it's consistent with the biblical system of doctrine our doctrine of redemption it gives hope for humanity both in the here and now and for the renewal of all things at the last day whether we're speaking of God's providential preserving of his creation or his cataclysmic recreation at the end of the age, that time when the new heavens and the new earth will ensure ensue, the Christian has hope. The Christian has hope for their labors in the here and now because we're promised that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labors today have eternal consequences. Now you notice how as I've begun to give reason for the hope that's in me. I've appealed to the Bible as my source of what I know, our basic epistemology. I've appealed to the Bible as my source for how I ought to live, that is my ethics, and also as my source for what exists, my metaphysics. It forms the comprehensive system of thought that accounts for reality, past, present, and future. Our unbelieving friends and neighbors are quick to point out here, however, that that is circular reasoning, right? You, you are arguing you ought to act some way on the basis of the Bible, and you're presupposing that God exists. And uh, for your viewing pleasure, I published in your, uh, your document um, a quote from Professor Cornelius Van Til. He was a, a Westminster Seminary prof, first-generation uh, first Westminster Seminary prof of apologetics. H- here's his quote. <coughs> The charge is made that we engage in circular reasoning now if it be called circular reasoning when we hold it Necessary to presuppose the existence of God We're not ashamed of it because we're firmly convinced that all forms of reasoning that leave God out of account will end in ruin Yet we hold that our reasoning cannot fairly be called circular reasoning because we're not reasoning about and seeking to explain facts By existence uh, by assuming the existence and meaning of a certain other facts of certain other facts On the same level of being with the facts that we're investigating And then explaining these facts in turn by the facts with which we began We're presupposing God not merely as another fact of the universe If God is to come into contact with us at all It is uh, It is natural that the initiative must be with him And this will also apply to the very question About the revelation of God to us Accordingly it is only on God's own testimony that we can know anything about him Uh, That was some of Van Til's easier writing Van Til is absolutely content as am I it's taken me years to get here um, To say you know when the unbeliever struggles with you concerning the biblical message What you keep doing is sharing the biblical message at the end of the day what does scripture say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god right uh that we it is that message right and van till is saying you know i presuppose the existence of not just a god but the triune god of the bible who reveals himself in history and redeems a people for himself through covenant um now If you find yourself not convinced of, this is called presuppositionalism, by the way. It's the way in which you argue for the defense of the faith. It's one branch. There's other tools in the Christian apologist's quiver, okay? Certainly there are evidences. But Van Til would be quick to point out, how do we respond to evidence as people who hate God, right? The Apostle Paul is very clear that we are spiritually discerned Right, that we can't see the God of this age has blinded us all that tr- stuff is true, right? So anyhow if you're not quite on board with the Vantillian hypothesis thesis rather um Or you know if if you're uncertain about how to a- adopt a, a Christian epistemology uh, I just want to throw out the idea that everybody has that problem So we're gonna look at a social psychologist his name is Jonathan Haidt um, And make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here Yeah Uh, Now the unbelievers argument of course is that the Christian is deluded Right Come on you are a post-enlightenment creature I don't even know if we need to use the word creature but you're a post-enlightenment being How can you hold to a God that rises from the dead in the person of his son I don't see this It's objectively not observable now you are deluded Christian right now this idea of delusion of course is that we stubbornly believe in something that just isn't true interestingly a gentleman named Jonathan Haidt he's an ethnically Jewish atheist social psychologist he argues that people who imagine that they arrive at moral religious or political conclusions solely on the basis of rational argumentation based on his social psychology uh, research, and he claims that it is uh, empirical, that he's done observation, he says those people are deluded, right? While the rationalist conceives of themselves as an objective wayer of evidence, Haidt argues that this aspect of their moral formation is nothing but a delusion. <clears throat> so he illustrates what he calls the rationalist illusion. Um, and he uses uh, you're going to love this. He uses the imagery of an elephant and a rider. Now, we would like to assume when you see those movies like I don't know uh, Lord of the Rings, they had some great elephant battle scenes, right? You'd like to imagine that it's Legolas climbing up the the snout and hopping on the back of it and popping some arrows into its head. You'd like to think Legolas is in control there. Jonathan Haidt says, no, 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 no. This ultra-rational rider of the elephant actually has very little concern, very little ability to influence where the elephant goes. Now, he says the elephant is actually our emotional or intuitive. I think he's moved along with his thesis. I think he'd say intuitive now, but Originally, he argued that it was it was the emotional nature of man, right? So he says what at the end of the day in the tug-of-war what really directs the elephant? Is it The elephant itself or is it the man or the woman on the elephant? There we go. It's a woman now his argument is well People are fundamentally emotionally motivated Okay, when it comes to our morality when it comes to our politics when it comes to our religion according to height he's arguing that actually what happens is we make an emotional decision and then we go ahead and we back it up with rational argumentation He says we make an irrational decision first that, I don't know if he, he would say irrational But he's saying we, we make emotional choices, right? So in his argument, it's the elephant that decides where things go, okay? Only after people make their emotional ethical conclusions do they then construct a rational justification so I just want to throw out the idea and I'm not using Jonathan Haidt here as something to butris our apologetic But it's just interesting that you know one of the people that's indebted to the field of social psychology and trying to be uh, Empirical in his research has concluded and this is held up fairly. Well, there's people that disagree. Of course, it's the Academy um I just want to throw out. It's not Christian theists that do this alone. Okay, everybody has core convictions the question is Where's the proof in the pudding? Okay, question is uh, who, and this is something useful, if Haidt's thesis is true, uh, now we could think of a dozen things why we would reason this way, right? Sexual ethics, right? There's all kinds of emotional, very strong pulls and urges, and then after we've done that, we back up and we're like, well, this is the reason why I did it, and it's good, right? And this is certainly true in the culture that we find all kinds of things where we want to redefine things and then say, oh, it's good. There's a, I, I've got the rubber stamp of approval from Jesus. You see it? Right? That's a strong temptation. Um, this is worth considering. You know, the question to be asked is, you know, uh, for the Christian, who would wish for or, you know think about your, your conversion experience if you if you grew up and not in the church, and you came to Christ Who would wish for or emotionally desire an all-sovereign God who's the boss of all with hell and damnation in the whole boot? And then to set up a rational justification for such a belief. I Find that rather implausible uh, Think about this when God called you were you searching for an ordered reality were you emotionally attracted to a stern lawgiver? Were you emotionally attached to a God who would accept you only on the basis of a substitute? Um, those weren't my stories. I, I don't have access to your thoughts. But that's not how I was rolling. Um, I was pretty content with my sin. It is true I was rudderless, but I certainly enjoyed my sin and I didn't want to part with it. I, I would have viewed it as my identity. Many believers recount being brought into the kingdom... Kicking and screaming as it were so perhaps height's observations lend credence to the Christian view of divine revelation and regeneration (coughs) Now we have therefore two basic options that we're going to look at Um, Our basic options are theonomy or human autonomy, right? we have reality as created by God and subject to his laws or we have naked human autonomy, which boasts of freedom and self rule. Those are our two basic rules. Uh, options. When we speak of theonomy, we speak of the Creator God and His giving of the law and the defining of reality. We confess reality as created by God and subject to His laws. It is a boundaried or limited universe or reality. When we think of theonomy, we are thinking about a very clear, these are. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a better way of doing this. Here we go. We'll get into math a little bit. Uh, Line segment, I think. Is that right? Anybody? Isaiah, line segment. I think. I think. Yeah. It's been a while since I had to teach that. There is a definite beginning. There's a definite end, right? Or maybe if we want to, we could put brackets out here. There are clear borders of reality. There's what is and what isn't, and it's very clearly defined. Now, of course, we're going to look at another view, and it's just. This, right there, there's no clear demarcations. Um, that's that's this realm of theonomy, right? That we're confessing a reality created by God, subject to His laws. It has boundaries and limits. And perhaps the theme song to this view of reality that the Bible presents us with is the Lord's Prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right that that is the theme song that the eternal God who exists outside of us his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven right it's a reflective reality as his creatures we reflect his glory it's a view where God draws the borders and we're his created subjects Nature exists and nature has laws that rule over us despite our protestations to the contrary This divinely hedged in view of reality works itself out in our ethics How do we care for creation? You look at the week of creation and God goes from less order to increasing order, right? There's a there's an ethic implied there in the creation account, you know I, I don't see Adam pouring toxic waste into Eve's flower pot. I Wasn't there but you, you get the point. Um, it, it goes from less uh, order to increasing order There's our ethical respect for the other right even others that we find annoying The christian is called to respect the image of god regardless of even when they break the very God who created them's laws, they still have the imprint of his nature and being in some regard, right? His, they reflect his image. <clears throat> Issues of sex and identity, all of these are biblically defined when we look at God's law. Now, when we look at God's law, of course, there's always, for all of us, not just the people that we imagine are the bad guys, we look at God's law and we reflect and we repent. The unfortunate thing about having a view of God that has boundaries that he's the lawgiver and we're his creation is He's the boss of me. We don't make the rules. He does And every week we come together and we say a prayer of confession and repentance because we're saying God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to change It's not just those people out there that need to change. It's us, right? The call for repentance is real so, within this view of reality, when we look at God's law, we reflect and we repent. God judges us. Now, we need to be careful here. There's always a call for humility. <clears throat> Just as I said that in the culture, people want to re- redefine gender, redefine sex, redefine what good and bad is, and stamp it with approved by Jesus. Don't we have those temptations? Elder Dave last week brought up the idea of adiaphora, the idea that there are things that are indifferent, where scripture isn't absolutely clear on. And God forbid that we run around with that sanctioned by Jesus stamp that all of us want to have, right, which you're just stamping with your pet peeves, you're stamping your pet peeves with. Watch out for that one, okay? There's always a call for humility. Scripture is a covenant document that requires redemptive historical sensitivity It's not a recipe book for holy living for all times and all places and all contexts gonna be the same 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 it's not a Guidebook for statecraft It's not a guidebook for bread baking. Sorry the what is it Ezekiel bread, right? It's not bad bread, but you'll still go to heaven if you don't eat that bread well There is a bread you need to eat John John 6 talks about it We need to be careful We need to be clear and speak where the scripture speaks and then stop Beware of preachers who will grandstand and major in the minors Look for those rather who confess with John the Baptist. He that is Jesus Must increase and I must decrease Now that's theonomy Uh, And and there was enough of a dig in there to convince you I'm not a theonomist But anyhow when we speak about human autonomy, we speak of humanity imagining That they are a law unto themselves In this view divinely bordered realities and you'll hear this all the time These are nothing more than oppressive ideologies, right? That's the fascinating term in its extreme forms, this is a boundaryless, unlimited metaverse with no unity except this unified voice of all of the alphabet soup of all different kinds of perspectives coming together and being united in one thing. Casting off an ultimate authority. You'll hear a lot of talk about not tolerance so much, but it'll be uh, die, diversity, inclusion, and uh, equality, right? Um, a lot of that talk, it, it, has, it sounds really good, um, but at the end, they really want that to die. The idea of a structured, ordered universe where there's a lawgiver that exists outside of us and we don't have some lever to change him, right? So, of course, that's an oppressive ideology because it gets in the way of your autonomy. So, in its extreme forms, of course, we're talking about a boundaryless, unlimited metaverse with no unity except the unified voice of casting off all ultimate authority. Anything that you can imagine, you can do or be, whether it's virtually or in person to lesser degrees. Nature has a way of calling us out. There's no limits to anything. If we had to choose a theme song for this, it is not the Lord's Prayer. The theme song would be the Isley Brothers. It's your thing, do what you want to do. I can't tell you, right? And then, of course, it would be followed by a second verse of judge not lest you be judged, right? And ignoring, stop judging and make a right judgment from Jesus. Now, and it's, now it needs to be said, Christian, keep in mind when we judge others, we're judging by the standard, which is the law, right? We're judging by that standard, right? And the call is always to repentance. And it's not, hey, I'm judging you because I'm better than you. No, it's I am a beggar that has learned where the bread is, and I'm telling you where the bread is. And yeah, the bottom line is you don't like God. And you might not like me too. Um, but that might be a good thing if you're reflecting the nature of your God, but don't be a jerk Peter says, uh, moving on, okay Uh, now in its less extreme forms, of course Uh, this, this view of human autonomy, it's not always the, uh, you know, sort of Common view where you know, we always have a, a, a different view of reality. Oh, you don't like this earth you know invest in Tesla and his uh, His rocket ships and and we'll just go to Mars, right? You don't like this view of who you perceive yourself to be well You could adopt any of the 72 other genders perhaps or whatever the number is now um, It's not always that blatant in your face and it's less extreme forms It could be a buffet-style Christian syncretism, right? Syncretism, of course, is the idea that you take some aspects of Christianity and some aspects of Native religions, for example, and you put them together. And we see that in the work of the church the world over. All all nations have it to one degree or another, even Americans. Um, But perhaps this idea of a buffet-style Christian syncretism. In both of these cases, whether it's this bald, open-faced, naked autonomy or this I love Jesus, but I'm going to sanction this thing that he clearly marks as sin is approved Um, In both of these cases the root is the same autonomy If you were a buffet style Christian at the end of the day, you were saying I'd like some of this I don't want that. I don't want that right Uh, That that is the theme but at the end of the day if that's what's going on Have you really bowed the knee to King Jesus and accepted a view of reality that is clearly demarcated, right? Um, So it's at root now, by the way (coughs) If you're tempted to syncretistic Christian practices This is a a very old thing, right? (coughs) It's we want to throw off uh, the Lord's Authority over us. That's that's a common thing. Okay. Well, all of that was introduction to shorter catechism, too So when we look at shorter catechism, too And this is, you know, we're we're just being very open, you know, our, our Approached philosophical philosophical questions, of course is the Bible. Okay um, Shorter Catechism two is uh, why don't we go ahead and read this responsibly? I'll read the question you guys read the answers in, in your your page What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The Word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him And let's hit number three while we're at it Shorter catechism three. What do the scriptures principally teach the scriptures principally teach what God is to believe? So there's an error there. Let's fix that Uh, So the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God. Let's try that again. It's supposed to be man. My apologies It was late. I was typing Question three. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man, okay? So sort of catechism two and three uh, that gives us sort of the, the the Christian manifesto in terms of how we know what we know how we ought to live and What exists right all the big philosophical questions are answered by those so we get to our topic proper today and that is revelation is it possible for us to know God? Think about that. When you share your faith with your friends and family and your neighbors, how crazy that's got to sound. I know God, right? You are saying that you have some way of knowing what many consider unknowable, right? Within the history of philosophy, you know, you can go back and look at Plato's cave and all that There was some way of ascertaining what true reality was. It was all shaded and it was difficult, etc We fast forward to Immanuel Kant and Kant basically says this here's Kant's approach There's different terms here Kant would call this the noumenal and this is the phenomenological This is all the observable stuff the noumenal according to Kant this stuff right here is going to be uh, unknown and unknowable Right out of the gate. So for Kant, Immanuel Kant is saying whatever is out there You can't even know it, right? So for Kant, here's the deal It's done. There's no access to that. So stop dealing with that. It's sort of Kant's approach The Christian on the other hand is saying no, no, no It is true. We don't have some special mental horsepower on earth whereby we reason ourselves to the divine Rather looking at the biblical message, of course, and this wasn't on purpose, but these look like ladders, right? Jacob's ladder, right? God comes down and reveals himself to his creation is the account of scripture. Now he does that in a couple ways. General revelation. We're going to make the argument on the basis of Psalm 19:1, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. God's created realm. The earth actually speaks of his glory and tells us about his goodness. About his power, about his eternality. Right. Think about this: when you go to uh, the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or some other place, how does your soul feel? It is wow. Right. There is something big. Right. There's something amazing about this. Now, of course, this is revelatory, and even for unbelieving friends, there there is beauty and glory in creation. We, We. Why do you think there are photographers who spend their lives? In the middle of nowhere catching, you know milliseconds of images and being celebrated It's because of the beauty of God's creation, right? These people devote their lives to it Why do people paint these landscapes, etc. Because it's beautiful and it's glorious now This is not going to forgive you of your sins It's not gonna tell you that God is triune But Romans 1 says that we are unacca- We are held accountable Because God is what is known about God is clearly present for all to see in his creation. Okay, Now That is something uh, that is beautiful and another thing for us to think about is uh, the as Christians were often uh, Skeptical and critical of non-believing scientists, okay now, there's certainly cause to be careful But friends uh, all truth is God's truth buried in this creation Is The truth of God and we don't always need to look at everything that comes out in terms of research as assuming Well, I know better because I know my Bible Last time I checked I'm not a geologist Uh, It's something I'm fascinated with and I've studied but the point is we don't need to assume that we know all things We don't right and here's the fact is it possible for our unbelieving non-christian Scientist neighbor to interpret the facts of creation wrong Absolutely is it possible for us to do the same? Absolutely. So, a little bit of humility. Now, of course, we have fundamental. You notice that my argument to support this idea of general revelation as revelation started actually with special revelation. I started with David in Psalm 19, right? I started with Paul in Romans 1. Um, so, it, it's just throwing out the idea that we don't always have to assume that uh, these uh, non Christian philosophers always are always wrong, right? A useful saying is always, a broken clock is right twice a day. Right? That's a thing. Now, of course, it's an analog clock. All hopes off. If it's digital. Um, <clears throat> a couple other things to think about really quick. Uh, in, you know, this is what our confession says. I'm, I'm trying to do something fast. Westminster Confession of Faith 1.1. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, unexcusable, Yet they're not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation The confession continues, but we need to see that this is a very Important mode of revelation and the Christian shouldn't treat it lightly. God has revealed truth in creation and showed it to all people Everybody has access to this revelation Much true learning can go on amongst pagan peoples think for a second really quickly Acts 7 talks about Moses being uh, You know Indoctrine, it doesn't say that, but being uh, uh, educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and that he was powerful with speech and action, right? We see in uh, Daniel. Daniel, of course, he's chosen along with some of these other exiles. Uh, and he's, in, he's chosen for his aptitude of every kind of learning. He's well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified for service in the king's palace. Now, you do realize that these guys are studying absolute paganism, Right? And certainly it's true That they are not called to emulate or reflect their pagan traditions But do you think that God wasn't pleased to use that education? Do you think that Paul, God wasn't pleased to use Paul's Hellenized Judaism And his great understanding of Greek philosophy as well as Judaism to be I don't know The uh, apostle to the Gentiles, right? So we don't always need to be looking at this as, you know, a uh, It's awful. Nothing's to be learned Uh, However notice with those examples I gave you Daniel Paul and Moses They certainly took what they learned and they used it for a purpose It was sanctified and washed in the blood of the lamb Now let's be clear here God's revelation of himself in creation is clear and perfect The problem is us Our intellectual faculties are fallen although general revelation is clear it has its limitations It doesn't tell us everything about everything It does not tell us that God is triune and that Christ is the only mediator between God and man. So this brings us of course to special revelation And by this I mean God's self-revelation of himself by word and deed in history for the salvation of sinners This revelation reveals to us what creation cannot Namely how to glorify God and enjoy him forever The catechism says it's the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the old and new testaments and it's the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. The confession says Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church, and afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture. To be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. So, of course, the confession here is saying that God was pleased by covenant union with a people to reveal himself to prophets and priests and kings and apostles, right? And in due time... You know, Hebrews 1 tells us that you know God used to reveal himself in all these different ways But in these last days he's revealed himself to us in his son And then we see the Apostles come and the Apostles writing of letters to individual churches for pastoral concerns, etc They are considered scripture as we'll see really quickly Second Peter 1 through 21 says this and this is testimony to the Old Testament being spoken of by God. First and foremost, Jesus, of course, quotes every Old Testament book as authoritative. And then Peter says this knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, <laughs> it doesn't come from this realm, right? Um, no, it comes from that bordered reality that God creates and speaks into existence. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Don't have time for a full orb defense of the canonicity of the Old Testament. But Peter believes it. Jesus believes it. The apostles also are aware that they're writing scripture in the New Testament. 2 Peter 3.14-16 through 16 says, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you concerning the wisdom given him As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters There are some things in them that are hard to understand Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction As they do the other scriptures Peter is saying hey guys Paul Paul's kind of hard to understand But they Twist his words to their destruction, just like they do the rest of Scripture, right? So, Peter is saying clearly, whatever Paul is writing, his letters are Scripture. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians two thirteen, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, and this is Paul speaking, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let's stop there that the Word of God That is at work in you believers is a sufficient explanation for what is It's a sufficient explanation for how you know what you know It's a sufficient explanation for how you ought to live And you know when your unbelieving friend uh, Who by the way bears the image of God And is worthy of your attention and affections Uh, When they call you out and point out what they deem to be inconsistencies, keep in mind there's spiritual blindness. It's a reality. Um, But also keep in mind, at root, let's examine your thoughts, your presuppositions. Let's take your ideas for a test drive, right? Uh, If you were created of nothing going nowhere, what's your purpose, right? Right? Um, I believe that, you know, the, the Christian explanation of things gives hope, gives meaning, gives rationality for why we ought to do what we ought to do. Really, why ought we ought to treat people with respect? Really, why ought we treat our creation with respect? Why don't we just pay Elon Musk and hope for another planet, right? Um, yeah. All right, let's pray and be done. Father, we give thanks uh, for this opportunity to think about how we know what we know. We give thanks for your revelation of yourself in time and space through the prophets uh, and through the apostles and through the scriptures which we've received, which is, as Paul says, God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Work in our hearts today. Make us useful in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.